We're ready. Yeah. Harry Talks. Back again. This is the first... I'm going to call... Well, I'm putting this one out first. This is the first episode in the new den. The cameras will get upgraded in the next week. Um, we're waiting on another phone to come in. But that'll all happen, so it'll look a lot more schmick. But I know that a lot of you listen to it anyway. So if you're not looking at our beautiful faces right now, you are the one missing out. <laughs> it's such an honour to have you back on. It's, it's super interesting because when we first spoke on this platform... We got a lot of narrative building done, which was great. Um, I feel like I'm a much better interview now as well. And I feel like I've grown a lot more as a human being too. And it was in such a weird COVID context. That was like two years ago now almost. Was it a year and a half ago? Yeah, two years ago. Oh, it was 2020. It was probably around this time as well. Yeah, I feel like it was. I feel like we've both grown a lot since that time. Yeah. And I have I have a lot of conversations with community leaders. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Anytime someone calls me a community leader, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, both publicly and privately, and I think the the end result of a lot of those conversations is that partying and this world we exist in is so special, but it's also quite hard on the brain and the body. And there's a lot of connotation. I hear it all the time, this idea of like retirement. Mm. Like you always say, I'm going to retire from the scene. And I've been to parties in the past fortnight and I've been to people, I'm retiring. Mm. I'm ready to hang the boots up. Um, but the one resulting question always is, is, you know, people do move on and that makes sense because people grow up. And it's like, is the scene in a better place than when you entered it? And I think there's no one better that I can say has uplifted the scene and made it a better place than I, Batonya. Um, you know, more just with her influence as a community member and it's become stronger and bigger because of her. Um, so I guess the opening question is, do you think that, you know, even that ethos subconsciously of making the community and the collective mind a better place, do you think that was always, you know, in the back of your mind or do you think that's come with more experience? Mm. Firstly, thank you for all those kind things you said. Um, so I, I guess to go back, I've been partying since I was 16. I first started going to... 77 star ethers i won't say the full name back in the day uh <laughs> sorry mom <laughs> and it was an incredible incredible party i feel that yes and no like there's always been a community element to how i've partied but i think it's been in the more recent times when i realized that i have like i'm in more of a position where i can um sort of uplift others that i try to do it more like i've always being like a community organizer not so much in the clubbing space but outside of that and it was only more recently that I started integrating that into my the music dance club side of things yeah what do you, this is sort of a weird question but um um oh, also this sounds horrible people sort of say that about me as well it's like why are you so focused on everyone else and that sort of stems really deeply with like my family Mm. like where do you think that comes from for you yeah I would say similarly my parents have always been very big like community oriented um, like I don't think they call themselves activists officially but they've always been involved with trying to uplift their own communities like my dad was president of the Nigerian association when I was a kid um, they started a new association for people from like my tribe the Bayosa association they're very like they've always helped people like with getting visas finding work and so it's something that was instilled within me from quite a young age and it's yeah I guess I'm just of the mind because of my parents that if you have the capacity to help others then you should obviously don't take out of your own cup but if you can why yeah. wouldn't you especially in a space that is like by default 
so political as well. Even though a lot of people don't really, I think, realize how political like dance music is, especially its origins. And yeah, like I think that because it's been so commercialized in the last like 20 or so years, people sometimes forget that it has such a political origin and that it is so important for us. Like club music was essentially a form of resistance and it still is for many communities. Um, yeah, so I think it's really important when we can to bring others up, especially, you know, when I first started DJing, I was one of the only black women I knew in the Sydney scene that played, like I started 11 years ago. Um, yeah, and so I didn't see other people like me and as time progressed, I realized I wanted to see more people that were like me or shared like similar lived experience or intersections of identity being in the same spaces as me and performing alongside me. Yeah, and I think a big part of the reason that, you know, dance music is so powerful, and I think especially in Australia, or has the potential to be so powerful, is that it feels like, and I've been having this conversation recently, it feels like we're not really, as much as we should be, and I think that a big critique of it is that we're not really a part of the music industry at all. I feel like for some reason, maybe in this city more than others, feel like we're sort of separate for some reason mm, where it's quite a vilified industry for the most part i feel like i often compare what happened in sydney because sydney when i was a 16 versus city and now it's a whole other city and it's similar to what happened in new york like with mayor giuliani how they kind of started shutting down all the nightclub and dance spaces which were back then predominantly uh, a lot of black and brown like house producers um, like the Detroit techno scene, they started sort of t trying to take away from that and made that scene look like villains and like contributing negatively to the society when they were such a big contributor to the New York economy. And yeah. I feel similarly, like when you look at the cross and what happened with King's Cross, it was completely vilified because there was like this underlying agenda to want to change the cross to make it more, I don't know, clean, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's what it's still reflected in the way that dance music is seen today. But I think it's really important to like acknowledge that there's so many incredible people that do so much for dance music, like Jane Slingo, for example, the Electronic Music Conference and Global Cities After Dark. And like, yeah, there's other people, like even like Nina Las Vegas, like doing so much incredible work to try to uplift the scene in spite of all of the challenges. But it is disappointing that people don't put as much respect on dance music's name yeah. as we should. I think it's super interesting as well, on like a more lighthearted view on it, where when people do, you know, evolve from the dance place to um, any sort of like industry or macro or stuff, and you sort of look across the room and you know that person like has that rave history and there's a oh, special absolutely. bond there. And it's like, you think about things differently and it's like, it's funny how unique it is, but like, at the same time, I'm of the belief that we, like, not we, because it's not my space at all, um, but, like, dance has to, or should be appreciated by the macro as well and the macro industry, um, but, like, they need to show that respect back as well. Yeah, it should be about reciprocity. And I feel like you have total right to speak within it. You're totally involved in the dance community. I always think, I don't know, I'm super conscious of how I speak about... Um, I don't know, like, as by default, as like someone of, you know, refugee descent in Australia, it's weird to call something ours here mm. um, because of obviously the First Nations history. I don't know, that's, I, I'm always super interesting on, super 
thinking about claiming ownership over anything at all in this country mm. unless it's like off my like internal labor do you know what i mean i don't know but i feel like it is a part of your internal labor like i completely think it's valid to think that i think that i have a lot of conflicts in similar ways to my own lived experience being born here but still a settler because i'm not first nations of this country but i feel that there are ways that we contribute to the scene that maybe ours is the wrong way, word but yeah. like we're a part of it right like yeah. we're still a part of the ecosystem yeah super interesting but yeah let's let's dive in what did what did what did this this humble city look like when you first entered it in terms of like you know how how you saw it through your lens but also just from like a context sort of point of view like you know what was popping off what was it going? was, was bustling <laughs> the cross was it like i remember the first time i went to 77 and star effers was a very queer amazing party and i remember walking in and seeing someone with these gorgeous angel wings on and back in the day it wasn't this gorgeous refurbished space that you see before yeah. you. it was very much like a dungeon den situation where you could smoke inside i remember one time the cops came in to raid the space and then someone played f the police <laughs> afterwards and it was such a moment and everyone was jumping around and it was wild um going out in the cross i was out every weekend like i literally went out so much to the world bar explicitly like everywhere else but mainly the world bar that they offered me a job as a door bitch and that's kind of how i got more involved in the club scene yeah um yeah it was just it was amazing i felt like you met so many people it was like this mix of different people from all over the city from other cities that had come to the cross or to Oxford Street explicitly to dance. And it was like this shared, I don't know, this shared love of music. Like obviously some people were there to pick up and do whatever, cause that's what happens. But for the most part, I felt like people were there to dance and like celebrate, yeah. and just live amazing weekends. And Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point where people would come from different parts of the city, which I think has really hurt, like obviously, you know, from an economic point of view, shutting down the city doesn't help anyone. No. <laughs> um, but I think that was such a big one where I always think about, like, accessibility of a party, where it's like, how do people actually, like, one, know this is on, and two, like, aren't going to feel left out when they come. Mm. Um, so, like, it being so restricted to, like, this inner west bubble, I think has hurt it so much because people can't just walk in by coincidence anymore. No, yeah, it's it's such a different energy. And I also feel that, so, you know, I was living in the inner west when everything, like I was working at Wobba when they brought in the licensing police and they started bringing in the scanners and it changed the entire energy of the cross and the 130 lockout. And then everything got shifted to the inner west and it actually contributed really greatly to the gentrification of the inner west. I was living in a warehouse space. A lot of warehouses started getting shut down because all of a sudden the energy or the attention that had been sort of spread across the city was predominantly on the inner west. So it meant that you couldn't really have warehouse parties anymore because the cops would most likely come yeah. and shut you down. Um, it changed everything. Like it was such a massive shift and the inner west, I don't think will ever recover from the ways that it was gentrified purely because the cross was shut down. Yeah, it's super crazy to think about like even as you see the old markings of a share house that are like, I knew exactly what type of family used to live here before. Mm. And like, I don't know. It's too, ugh. yeah. I think the, the city landscape is so, so interesting in terms of like 
you know, what's accessible to what and like, how can I get to this place? And yeah, where it's like this idea of like a hub, which is like what sort of happened to Newtown. And like, I'm not like a new, new Newtown hater, but a lot of people do have that sentiment being like, I can't go out in Newtown anymore because... <laughs> Me on the yeah. weekend? <laughs> yeah. Too turbo. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. But I think like on the flip side, like something that I think has been really encouraging is seeing that there were more parties being thrown in like other parts of the city all of a yeah. sudden. So like, you know, the West had like a bit of a stronger scene because the cross was sort of somewhere you didn't want to go anymore, as did the East of the Northern Beaches. So all of these new sort of micro scenes popped up which has kind of been really cool to see yeah and yeah that diversification but like there's also a thing to say where because dance music's been so like spread thin almost where there is no like unified like like not committee for lack of a better phrase but there because it is so dispersed and like there are more dance promoters in the country than any other genre by far because we all just love doing our own thing yeah um it's sort of like weird not to have like this big one unity because it is so like this is that party and like, no, this so is the true. crowd that comes yeah. and like here's this 200 t- sort of people there's that 200 person crowd um yeah i wish i i wish i lived it i can't believe i didn't and like seeing it from afar i was like i was like listening to like big stadium rap music which was the best and that'll still be my favorite music of all time yeah um but i was just like guys everyone relax like it's fine you can't go to a club (laughs) and look at me now hey i was so wrong i was like i want to go to concerts i want real like big you know sound systems like oh I was so ignorant and so dumb. No, look, you were just on your own journey. You weren't ignorant. You were just on your own journey. Everyone comes to it differently, you know? But then again, what really took me over is like the crossover in the music I was listening to versus some of the music I listen to and now alongside it. It was inevitable. I didn't have a choice. I did not have a choice. Um, let's jump all the way forward to your work with a regular fit generally. And I'm so sorry about the phrasing on this. I couldn't think about a better way to put okay. it. Okay. Um, and I'm going to use the word trend. Oh, okay. And, but there's like, finally, I think been a trend, um, across all music communities in Australia, given the black roots of all contemporary music of, um, you know, multicultural artists, like reclaiming the genres that have been gentrified, um, by Australian people, you know, generally think of hip-hop think of dance music Mm -hmm. as well and i think it's especially prevalent and we're finally having good conversations about it in this city's dance music scene um but given though that it can be so exclusive um of course you know so much who you know and not how you are or what you do um what do you think those barriers to entry almost are for younger artists coming through and you know attempting to enter these spaces that they should have been invited in in the first place yeah i think like sort of what you spoke to it's like First of all, there is like a nepotism of sorts because it is like very much if you don't know the right people, then generally you don't get booked on certain things, I think. And even though there's been improvement, that's still something that I feel stands. Um, And also safety. I feel like safety is a big part of like all of the work that I do, not only from my own lived experiences, but from having conversations with younger artists, with artists that are the same age, older than I am. that's a big thing because it's like you can enter a space and someone can tell you like 
I've got your back, I've got this and that. But if it's unsafe for you because they're not really thinking deeply about, you know, what your experience might be within that space for whatever reason, whether it's your gender identity, your race, whether you have a different disability that might cause you to, uh, I don't know, encounter certain things that other people might not. Those are all big barriers and hindrances. Um, I think also cost, it's something that I also think a lot about is like, a lot of people don't have access to equipment. Like that's why I started doing workshops because I recognize like, I didn't even have access to a lot of equipment for a long time. And if I hadn't worked in nightclubs, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to practice as much as I did to get to where I am now or done radio shows and had like studio space. So I feel there's a lot of barriers. I think that now that things are cheaper, you can get a controller, whatever, it's getting better. And I, I love that a lot of clubs are now thinking a lot more uh, critically about how to create more opportunities to access. But I think it's hard because everyone has such different needs. And although that there are some that uh, cross over, it can be very challenging, I think, for promoters or club spaces to have all of the conversations that need to be had to ensure that safety is at the crux of whatever diversity inclusion strategy or thing that they're doing. Yeah, and uh, I'm, we're going to come back. We're going to dive in. But I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you need something to practice on, I have open decks here pretty much every night of the week. So just DM me. Lovely. Um, and, you know, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no DJ wizard. I know how to mix big, like, wobby, minimal, like, trance, which is, like, the easiest stuff to mix. But I'm sure I could get someone to come and donate their time to help to educate as well. Um, I I'm happy to donate some of my time, depending on when. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we can make it work. That'd be cool. Yeah. Get the system going. Yeah. Um, I want to talk on, I think it's super interesting, where with the way that lineups are sort of being formed currently, I think it's super interesting where this idea of challenging this idea of box ticking versus um, actually being diverse. Mm. Where if you're being diverse, because I've spoken to so many people and it's like, yeah, I played this show, but I'm not sure why I was there. Mm. Or, and then that, that, I can't speak for these people, but what their words are is it makes it, it can be even worse to take that show than to, and get the money. Absolutely. And then it can become even more like, this feels weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that next level, I think of, I, is that what you mean by when you say like safety? That's definitely yeah. a part of it. Cause it's like when you're being put on a lineup, like for me personally, I'm very particular about lineups that I say yes to because I've been in that situation several times in the past where I've been put on a lineup and it felt like a box ticking exercise. And so I recognize that like you're being put on a lineup even though it doesn't align simply so that they can say that they've done something but it's like not even just safety for the dj also for the audience members because yeah. when someone sees you on a certain lineup then they have this assumption that this party is sort of x y and z that's often what happens it might mean that future djs might be like oh i'm gonna play that party because that person played it so i know that it's safe to play for me or i'm going to go to that party because that person is playing it but that might not necessarily be the case yeah um yeah i always think about that um just with curating like even my own lineups because it's like or even any not lineups specifically but any sort of you know editorial is that yes i can have that thought in the back of my head like it has to you know represent in a certain way but it's like it has to be 
this is a weird way to put it as well not like natural so that it doesn't look out of place all of a sudden where yeah. it's is this new thing that we're doing at this blog because this is a new requirement it's like mm. how can we actually treat this sort of art or this promoter or this artist properly but it, it's also like it's, it's super difficult for you know obviously the most difficult for artists like i made a big mistake the other week wrote this epic article about sugar mountain saying women of color how good this is why it works because it showcased like thousands of different genres blah 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 and i think this sort of goes back to our um conversation about like the micro and the macro where on a website that context like purple sneakers and i'm not going to say the names because i i've royally fucked up um where in the grand scheme of things in the world an artist with 5,000 followers on instagram technically is up and coming and ready to take global domination but like you discredit so much work by saying that about someone so like yeah i don't know it's just super interesting and like mm. the conversations and stuff yeah um yeah i think back it's to, oh, yeah no i was just gonna sort of add to that i feel like that is a conversation that i feel like a lot of DJs of color, I've had that conversation with them. Like I've been playing for 11 years, people still think I'm up and coming in many yeah. ways because we're not in certain spaces where the people, like the big dogs that are sort of running the scene have seen us. So in their eyes, generally that's often the case. But I think there is an element where it does sort of discredit the work. Like I think yeah. it's cool that you admit that it's a mistake though, rather than trying to diminish it, it's important to recognize that. We all make mistakes. Like, I make yeah. mistakes all the time. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm perfect. I don't believe in perfection. But yeah, I think it's it's a challenge. It's a weird thing because I think sometimes as well when somebody all of a sudden has visibility, but people haven't maybe known them before, it means that they're seen as up and coming, whereas they've been working for X, yeah. Y, Z amount of time. But this is something that I think happens industry-wide. Like I see it a lot like there's people that didn't know about me a year ago so they think that I've just appeared when there's been stuff happening in the background yeah. but I think that's something that we all do at different points with different people yeah and it's like this idea, the idea of up and coming for someone that has been you know disenfranchised I don't know is that the right word yeah I'm well, crazy well um, <laughs> who's someone who experiences marginalization yeah yes okay that's yeah. way better um um where it's like there's almost when i think of up and coming and i shouldn't have thought about it like this where it's like okay now the world is finally ready for them mm. and that's sort of the context that i sort of use it in but then it is so discrediting and i feel like it happens so much as well um because you know just because they finally got their visibility doesn't mean that you know they've worked 10 times harder than they have might like not 10 times harder than they have now but like have been working a thousand times harder than someone else who has the more Instagram followers. Who has more they got, money as yeah, well. Because they has, got the hot press shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who has access to equipment. Yeah. It's 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 an interesting, interesting thing because it's also like up and coming too and then it talks about like, you know, validation. Like, do we have to be validated by like white promoters or um, big international, I don't know, promoters to be seen as valid in our arts practice or as DJs. I think like even there's that crossover with the arts generally where that conversation's happening with emerging artists. It's like yeah. when you stop becoming an emerging artist and you're just like an, an artist. artist. Like in whose eyes, who validates you with that? It's all very complicated. Um, let's bring it back because I, I sort of want to help you 
um, we talk about some other stuff like while we're early in the conversation because of just general how people listen to podcasts. Um, how is transitioning a regular fit from online to IRL? Um, you know, what were those initial ideas for the physical and how did those irregular, uh, the irregular tit events um, come into fruition? Mm. So I think to go back, irregular fit's been around since 2018. So it was actually IRL first and then because of COVID, we went online. I'm sleeping. Yeah, no, that's all good. <laughs> I feel like from my end, I'm not always great at promoting things and that's something that talking to my therapist about because I have some weird internal thing about feeling weird about sharing too much of what I'm doing sometimes, even though you have to, so people know what's happening. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, it actually was challenging to go from doing stuff in person to doing them online. Like for example, I wanted to do DJ workshops during the lockdowns, but I was like, how can I do this in a safe way? How can I get people access to computers if they don't have that or access to a controller, access to good Wi-Fi? Um, that was really challenging. I was working with some really cool community orgs to try to make that happen, but it was a lot. Um, but coming back to being doing things in person, um, I think it's been interesting. There's been a lot of like this irregular tip social was meant to happen like eight months ago, but it's just been continually pushed back again because of COVID and lockdowns. And also the anxiety that a lot of the DJs have faced, like some of them had never even, like especially those that sort of graduated the program True, in 2020, yeah. they hadn't really played many gigs in person. Um, and even those that had played gigs, like some of them, it's their first gig back since lockdowns ended. So I think there's been a lot of navigating anxieties, not just mine and Joy, the fabulous Joy from The Bitter Tit, but also the artists, um, people that are coming to events. It's definitely been an interesting but insightful challenge. Yeah. This might be a bit of a, of a too deep question because I know if someone asks me this, I think about this all the time okay. and it sort of wigs me out. It's not... It's not no, I'm ready. Go um, on. Do you think about COVID when throwing the parties where it's like Absolutely. there's a chance that I can give 50 people COVID straight away? Yeah. And like, how, how do you have, like, this is a selfish question. Like, how have you tried to think through that or is that still a work in progress? I think it's always going to be a work in progress. I feel that, so Joy and I have a lot of quiet, like the bearded tit itself has a lot of sort of rules in place. Like they still do check-ins. Um, Joy's got one of those, I don't know what, like the air diffuser things. Oh yeah. Yeah, so she invested in one of those, um, make sure that people are double vaxxed before coming in as well as all the artists. Um, we kind of just check in with all of the artists ahead of time to sort of triple check with them. Uh, some of them didn't want to perform when we first started doing it, so we pushed it back further and then checked if they'd want to do it at a later date. I think it's a fear that I always have. Like I have my own health concerns, which is why I also yeah. don't want it, but it's like, I find it challenging even to think about DJing full stop sometimes because I worry about that. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's just a constant working in progress, trying to find different parameters to make sure that people feel as safe as they can within that space. Um, yeah, but also trying to get people paid, you know, it's like, Trying to find this balance between making sure people have money to do things, but also making sure they feel safe enough in this space. Um, and also still working at limited capacity. So it's yeah. not, the tit isn't back at a full um, capacity. Yeah, and it's weird without the external, any sort of external support mentally. To yeah. be like, it's okay. Like, 
we know that you're doing this and it's like okay it still feels wrong for some reason because there isn't that external voice that we can trust that's like yeah it's okay like you got this yeah we trust you and we're going to support you through it which i think a lot of the big covid conversation has been like from the health and the financial point of view is that there hasn't been enough closure in the support that this is what's going to happen if something goes wrong Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know i threw a party here and gave and i'm very open to speak about it not me personally i don't know who patient zero was but we had um everyone that hadn't had covid before got it clean clean wipe and i was just like i had it as well luckily i wasn't too sick and no one got too sick but it left me in this brain of like reflection like i was dry messaging these people out of the blue saying hey effectively you're not my friend anymore if you don't come to the purple sneakers party all right okay (laughs) i I was using guerrilla marketing techniques but that doesn't come into it but um yeah and it was so interesting the head noise i had from it being like should i feel responsible for this only because i know that these people are not getting the support that they need externally Mm. so it's yeah it's i think it's something that we're gonna have to deal with and challenge with but you know purple sneakers doesn't make money unless we throw that party every month it's it's like a huge challenge and i can imagine the amount of yeah the burden that you feel with something like that but i feel that it goes both ways right it's like there's also the responsibility of the person that chooses to go to the party like so it's like everyone has a part to play in whatever happens and it's almost impossible like if people aren't like if someone has symptoms and they choose to go out it's also really on them for doing that it's yeah, I, I feel like it's really hard to point fingers with things like this. I know that there's been a lot of discourse online where people are like, you know, you shouldn't go out and this and that. And I'm like, I agree. Like, I think that if you're going out, then you should try to isolate or you should be doing rapid yeah. tests regularly or getting a PCR if you have symptoms. But I don't think that you should stop your entire life because we don't know what's happening anymore. Like, you can literally go to the shops and get it. It's yeah. like, and we're not wearing masks anymore because it's not mandatory. Like, I think that. I try to wear one as much as I can, but I think it's really hard to police people when we're all in the same sort of situation. Like, and it's not on us as individuals to police how other people behave. Definitely. Um, on a much lighter note, how are those events? They look epic. I unfortunately haven't come yet. Um, how have they been? I'll just give you a chance to, to yeah. gas yourself up to the people about these parties. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like they've been really lovely. Like it's so beautiful seeing some of these artists, some of whom have not either played before um, or haven't played in a long time, just being up there and doing their thing, whether they're DJs or live music. And I feel like it's also really nice to have the intersection of live music and DJs so awesome. and sort of like spread across different genres. like. Last night, someone did, oh wait, yeah, last night was Sunday, right? Last night, someone did a cover, Morgs, this gorgeous little indie pop band, did a cover of Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton, and it was so cute, I loved it. And then Princey came on after the fact and just did this killer performance and brought all of the energy with her gorgeous Madonna mic, like it was like the little headset face mic. And just, it was such a vibe. And then we had some really great DJs like Bria and T-Rad. Um, yeah, it's been really lovely watching people sort of acclimatize. And I think it's been nice for them as well because it's not some hectic party. It's just meant to be a chill Sunday, Yeah, you know, recovery, get ready for the week to come sort of thing. So people get to ease into performing again, as opposed to being 
thrown into a huge yeah. party um, yeah. and expected to sort of carry a crowd through an event. Yeah, I think it's it's so special that it's at a venue like that as well, where it perfectly fits that where an artist or a um, you know an attendee sort of understands that like it is so communal and it's not like this high pressure toxic like environment that can come from not toxic like in a really crazy way but like toxic in a you go to a certain party's um a certain promoter's party and the punters there are expecting clean mixes and super headsy stuff they don't want to hear a song they've heard before in their a lot life. of chin strokers yeah, yeah literally so um <laughs> like having it in a space like that where there is sort of this reputation of, of wholesomeness, mm. I think really shows. Absolutely. I, I want to just commend Joy always because she is so intentional with the way that she does everything. Like when she approached me to do this, I was like, absolutely. Favorite bra, love it, let's go. Because she just is so thoughtful, so community oriented and always just wants the best for everyone that comes into her space. And I feel like you said her space like the bit of tit exudes that energy and it's been really supportive crowds that have come and you know cheered on people some of whom like i said haven't performed before so it's been yeah. really beautiful to see um i feel so selfish about some of these questions because it's i'm just like this is what i need help with i'm sure i could ask about this okay go ahead then if i can help i'll try this is a big one all right um i want to talk to you about this idea of like attachment um you know we live in this commercialized capitalist world where individuals are sort of forced to um become their own personal brands um which is <laughs> something i think about a lot as well and i i don't know if i read it or saw it somewhere um but like you said you've been dealing a lot of thinking a lot about this idea of like the personal attachment um so how do you how do you think you balance or you know separate you know you as a person and then you know, in unintentionally, you as a brand to, um, yeah, just how does it all work mm. for you? Or what have you been thinking about, maybe? Yeah, I think, like, I've been reflecting a lot recently on, yeah, like, parasocial relationships, like the way that people sort of do attach themselves to who they think I am based off my social media presence and how I do find it frustrating sometimes because people will slide into the DMs and they'll say anything, like... yeah. Sometimes really heavy stuff as well that I'm like, I actually don't have the capacity to help you with this. Um, I think dealing with it is trying to create more space. It's why I'm a little less online at the moment because I'm still just trying to figure out the best ways to manage being visible because there's actually sometimes, I'll just put something out and I don't really think about the fact that a lot of people are looking at it because I don't look at story yeah. views or whatever. I just put it out. And then after the fact, I might be at an event. Someone's like, oh my God, I saw this story. You were talking about this and that and that. And I'm just like, this is so overwhelming. Yeah. I don't have a fence or anything. So I just talk, say what I say. And I forget that, yeah, there's a lot of people viewing things. I just think that, yeah, meditation has been really good. Um, setting a lot of firmer boundaries um, with people, with things that I'm willing to talk about. Like I have, and I think I always will struggle with being seen or perceived as a brand because I don't see myself that way. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I also talk to my agent about, like how do I sort of create separation so that people, see I'm just someone that really likes music and likes to play it. <laughs> and yeah. not so much like, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because I feel like there's so many different moving parts yeah. that I'm still trying to figure out 
for myself. But how do you sort of manage that? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I literally don't. I have no self-control. I am like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was really hard. One way that I actually have managed it, like with Parry Talks and like at All Mate Paz, I can't, like I've, that's something I need to really figure out. Um, but with Purple Sneakers, when I, because before I became the editor and it was my job, I was just volunteering writing there and I did it because like I loved what Purple Sneakers was mm. and you know it was all my heart and then all of a sudden I was in the like in a position of power there and I realized that there was no longevity in it being like as much as it is such a passion of mine there's no longevity in you know conflating me with Purple Sneakers mm. um, so I think really separating that way I know that I have Monday afternoons off everything off i yeah. finish at 5 30 every day don't even talk to me yeah, about it yeah good um so i think that works but like in terms of personally like with this stuff like there's hundreds of hours of me just like literally having conversations like this like mm. that just exists and like people will come up to me and be like oh like it's so funny that you know your mom said this to you one day and i was like how do you know that isn't it wild when people come up to you with stuff like that? You're just like, okay. But I I had this really weird, and like I always speak to my partner, Katie, about this, where I'm always so incredibly grateful when anyone is touched by anything that I've ever done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, whenever it happens in real life, she'll see my like reaction to it when someone walks away. And I was like, oh, like I hated that. Like, oh, because it's weird when, and you'll, I don't know if you reflect on this or no, not. No, I was going to say that I was like, I feel exactly the same. Your casual <laughs> life and like my leisure comes from partying in a, in a, like a, in the communal sense, not the woo yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and now that that's my work very directly, those spaces don't exist There's separately anymore. Lines. Yeah. It doesn't exist separately anymore. So that's yeah. what I'm dealing with. Yeah. That's what I think about a lot. Yeah. I feel like, I can very much relate to that, especially even after just being at pitch for <laughs> yeah. the weekend, like playing there, but then also slightly working in my capacity, like as someone that works at RA and then also just being a punter and wanting to support my friends and not really having space between the three and like finding it so challenging. Cause like even when I wasn't playing and I was just chilling, people were like taking videos of you and like, sending them to you and i'm like i'm just chilling i'm just drinking some tequila let me I live i noticed that yeah i, I was like oh my god <laughs> so yeah i was just like wow i literally am just having fun but um yeah it's it's a lot <laughs> it's, that freaked me i don't i'm not gonna i don't i don't, honestly don't remember who posted it neither do i but it but. was it did it freaked me out because i was like i wasn't on the clock i was watching my friend and celebrating her amazing set um who was DJing? jennifer loveless yeah she's fire like jennifer i have so much love for her she's one of the best djs there's so many incredible djs but she's one of my favorites absolutely i was going to talk about this at the end because i like finishing off super silly and lighthearted. but that little crew of like i think what was the other festival you went to as well when it was like sort of a similar yes yeah and then like the re the reunion at at pitch as well i was like okay this is effie yeah Yeah, we were all like let's go yes yeah it was so lovely to spend time with them all and i love that they're all such a supportive group of djs like i think that 
sometimes it can be really isolating being a DJ, especially when you're going and traveling by yourself and playing certain gigs. So to all of us be playing at the same events and just being at each other's sets and dancing and it's just so beautiful. I love those moments yeah. so much. And I think one of the big benefits of, oh, there's no wrong way to say it straight away, but like this thing that COVID did was really romanticized in not in a, like a over the top way, but in a, oh, I'm finally seeing it in the right eyes, friends interstate, mm. where all my, like during the lockdowns, everyone was on the level playing field. I could message someone from, you know, Nam or Melbourne faster as quickly as I could someone living down the street True. so it really leveled everything out so seeing those people again and I haven't yet seeing those friends again it will be so special because there's such a like a, there's a new bond there absolutely it's crazy to think about um did you like pitch was it fun I had a lot of fun it was I'd never been before it's a huge festival yeah it's massive but I feel like I had so like I feel so inspired after being at that festival because I think especially after two years of lockdown, it's so easy, like, and I've spoken to a lot of DJs about this, it feels like we're all kind of thinking similarly, but you sort of get caught up in like, is the crowd enjoying what I'm playing? Like all of a sudden I'm playing to bigger audiences that I wasn't before, so I get really DJ anxiety in my head about it, and then sometimes defer to music that I probably wouldn't feel happy playing if I chose to play a set, but I play because I feel like it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And what was a really great reminder of pitch was just the journey. Like it's not always about the destination. Sometimes it really is just about the journey of music and seeing so many incredible DJs and them sort of showcasing that and doing it with such ease, especially like a lot of the international acts and asking some of them like, how do you do this? Yeah. <laughs> how do you play to a crowd like this and not freak out? Yeah. Um, and they were all sort of saying, we do freak out, but you know again it's like they love it so much that they just do it and it just reminded me of like why i got into djing in the first place is because i love playing music like i yeah. love it i love mixing it i love playing it i love connecting with people over it um yeah so it was really beautiful to be there i think a super interesting conversation that i've been having a lot about which i think you might have a thought on mm -hmm. is this idea of like a festival like pitch where a lot of people and there's a certain i'm not gonna name it because you know, I have no, I'm not trying to start beefs or anything. Um, there's certain parties in Sydney where people will see a lineup and say, hey, this is a sick lineup, but the, um, but there's going to be heaps of like young people there or people not from the scene there, so I'm not going, which is totally fine. And I completely understand that a lot of people won't feel comfortable in those spaces, which is so fine. Um, but I think there's such a crazy beauty in a festival like Pitch where people don't engage with dance music and they're going to this doof and they're seeing a DJ like you who would play to three, 400 people saying in this city to thousands of people. And it's like that opportunity on the artist side is so incredible and people get like fans can get really selfish about that. Like yeah. heads can get really selfish about it. Like, oh no, it's not, this isn't a reflection of us. Like the music's cool, but like, yeah, nah. I feel like that's such a strange energy though as well. Cause I'm like, we were all young once, you know, like, yeah, exactly. like I said, I've been partying since I was 16. I was that person once upon a time going into a space with no idea of what to expect. I feel like, yeah, it's a shame that some people carry that energy. I can understand why sometimes you don't want everyone to be super young. Cause they can be super rowdy and stuff yeah. as well. But then it's also like, I love an intergenerational crowd at a party. I think it's beautiful to have all different ages, all coming together celebrating music also teaching each other stuff and i think that 
sometimes there's a responsibility on the promoter to sort of you know really reiterate that it's important for us to treat each other with respect and with care and especially for those that are new to the scene so that we're all on a similar wavelength about how we should be interacting with each other and behaving in certain spaces definitely definitely i love that you brought up the idea of abundance because it makes my job as a host really easy oh lovely because club abundance is so sick and i when i read the name of the show on skylab radio i was like oh finally because it's like cliche saying but it's like it's not how big your piece of the pie is it's how big we can make the pie. Absolutely. Love <laughs> um, the cliche. So just, I just want like open the floor to talk through about this idea of abundance in dance music and how the title of the show sort of reflects in its you know musical messaging, say. Mm. Yeah, I think like for me, the ethos behind the title was like, there's abundance in everything. Like one of my favorite things that I've said a few times in my life is that we'll never hear all of the music in the world like there's just such an abundance of music that exists and that fascinates me and it intrigues me and I'm not on a mission to hear all of it but I love that that's a thing and that we're constantly learning about new sounds there are constantly new people coming up there's constantly like I live on discogs there's constantly music on discogs that you find you're like where did that even come from um, but then there's also so much space for all of us as artists, as DJs to coexist. Um, while I'm here, I will shout out that I am throwing a party called Planet Abundance as part of Vivid. So it's going to be on the 2nd of June. And again, leads into this ethos of like, there's enough different genres of dance music and there's so many amazing different people doing amazing stuff. So why don't we all just come together? and speak to the wide spectrum of electronic music that exists in this world. Um, so yeah, I love abundance. I feel like, like, I feel that in the last three years, reframing the way that I thought about things and really approaching it from an abundance mindset helped me just better exist in the world. It's like kind of any sort of competition that I felt like a few years ago, like there was a point where I was like, ah, oh, you know, I feel like no one cares what I'm doing and, rah, 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 and I need to compete with people and why am I doing this? But now having that mindset, it's just shifted the way that I think about things. And I'm more so of like a, when it happens, it happens. And if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, but it's okay. Like, yeah. So I think Club Abundance is about an affirmation of self and knowing that there's space for us all, but also just celebrating the fact that there's an abundance of incredible dance music that exists in this world that we all deserve to listen to and hear. Definitely. And that was so beautiful, by the way. Oh, I'll just thank like, you. <laughs> talk to it. Um, on DJing generally, I think it's super interesting um, because it is such a, not in a bad way, like a laborious um, task. Maybe not as laborious as live music, but in terms of the digging process and new music and you play a gig in two weeks time from now and you need new music from what you played last night um well not necessarily oh like as in say like i don't know yeah you, you, go, like, you go um but i think there's like an, a lot of internal pressure for a dj to do oh, that absolutely um so i'm interested to see like what your opinion is on how your music taste or your sort of ideal big stage dj set has changed given that there was almost a two-year break um, between, say, the last hurrah and now. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to people about this recently. I feel like, yeah, kind of like what I was saying before, I feel that with big stages, I do feel like this pressure to keep the dance floor going, to keep the energy up. Um, and sometimes almost like 
not entirely, but to put on a bit of a performance at times. Like you need to dance and like amp up the crowd. Um, and there's been this huge shift in the last two years towards like a lot faster dance music styles. Um, and like I've noticed that younger generations are really leaning into that. Um, so I think that I definitely try to stick to what I love, but there are times when I can fall into like playing things because I feel like people would love it as opposed to me loving it. But I had this amazing conversation with a DJ recently, um, who one of whom you saw last night actually, because we did a workshop for RA. Oh yes, of course, um, that looked incredible. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Um, and she was sort of like, because I asked her like, you know, how <laughs> please that's all you can ask as well in that situation yeah, yeah but you know she was so generous with her time and her energy and her response and she just sort of reminded me and all of us that were there that it's important to of course play music for the crowd but also for yourself and that's how you sort of find this gorgeous balance and you end up playing a set that you want to play so I feel like that's the energy I've been trying to embody since that conversation with my big crowd sets like I played quite a big feel a big crowd on Saturday this week um and that was the energy it was like playing stuff that I love but also thinking about the crowd at the same time and remembering that it's about reciprocity and like as much as the crowd is feeding off your energy you're sort of feeding off theirs as well to sort of create this collaborative thing on a dance floor so I feel like that's where I'm trying to remind myself at the moment with big stages definitely um at like a sort of I think um a sort of like clubby headliner sort of show. Um, I think it's so beautiful though when the DJ is like making, obviously like crowd pleasers are my favorite thing in the world. He um, does a lot of crowd pleasers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and like, cause I'm not a DJ, I just DJ when I need to as like purple sneakers. It's just like Vanessa Amorosity. Love that. Like, like Snoop Dogg and Pharrell. Like, let's make it happen. It's so happy to do, but back to the original point, like when you see someone at their club, like headline, like all night sort of gig, seeing them like properly educate the crowd and like transform Mm. that crowd from you might have been expecting like an original song that they've made or a song that they played in their boiler room set that went really well but seeing them like get that reputation or that anticipation and then transform it completely into this new thing and the crowd follow that Mm. and that's the beauty of dj that is so educated it's like it's like a class it's the closest thing to like school that isn't school in yeah. my opinion, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> I love that though. It is true. It is a class. Like I love playing a set. And then like for me, if I'm really honest, aside from DJs loving my crowd, if a sound engineer or a sound tech loves my set, that's when I know I've done well, you know, especially like the old head sound techs. And they're like, yes, you played this track. Like I played um, Joey Beltram Energy Flash, which is this incredible 1990s rave trancey track. And yeah like a lot of people hadn't heard that song before like the younger people but it's true it was like a sort of lesson in like this music has been around for so long and it continues to evolve but yeah i learned so many lessons from the dance floor from so many of my favorite djs constantly yeah i'm interested to think because like i don't i'm sort of exists in this um oh, like this a different sort of world where like i feel like a lot of the crowds i enter are typically a bit older and you know maybe seasoned um but i'm interested to get your thoughts on why either you think or you've noticed that people are tending towards harder music or like not harder maybe more turbo dance music yeah i'm not sure like maybe it's years of not dancing or like for some of them so valid yeah yeah like yeah i think that 
I couldn't really give you the direct reason as to why there's been this shift, but I do feel like maybe a big contributing factor is that people just want to go hard after not being able to yeah. for so long. Like during lockdown, we heard all of the gorgeous, like esoteric sets and like the <laughs> journeys. And I still love a journey, always will yeah. love a journey set, but it's also really nice to stomp really hard yeah. to two hours <laughs> of jungle or footwork. Yeah. Or, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, I don't, I can't really put my head, like finger on it, but I feel that I think it's cool to see that there's been this shift. Definitely. Um, and I think naturally people like enter dance music from there, like as a youth, like going out for the first time and being like, I like Sweet Shaft Mafia or like some commercial dance music, not in a commercial in a negative way, commercial in it sells a lot of records mm-hmm. way. And then I feel like naturally I went straight to like big house music, big electro, big breaks. And then now getting older, it's like, I sort of like a like an afternoon soul mm. dinner, like Balearic chill chuggy set. So maybe like the fact that they've all come together in the physical world, like two years worth of people, just like, no, nah, give it to me hard. Yeah, and I was let's like, go. That's sick. Yeah. Um, can you believe we've been speaking for an hour? No, yeah, <laughs> I can't actually. <laughs> <laughs> choked on some saliva um but i'll ask my final question now i sort of ask everyone on this um podcast now it's just what does success look like for you on a personal level it doesn't have to be like ticket sales or i want to get on this lineup just like you know when it's all said and done you look back on you know your involvement as a person in the world or in music Mm. you know what's that what's the barometer what's the factor that you measure it off Okay, I think from a, I'll do like an interpersonal, like a personal and an interpersonal. I think personally for me is being able to sustain myself in my career and not have to worry about it, like from a financial perspective. I think also like mentally feeling confident in my sets and not like, I don't doubt that the anxiety will always be there to a degree, but getting more confident in my music choices when I'm playing it because I do like playing a lot of stuff that's a bit more obscure than I sometimes play in sets because I feel like I need to so I would love to just feel confident and safe in my musical choices and take crowds on more journeys and not worry about I don't know clearing a dance floor yeah um I think from a community perspective I just want to continue to see more people with whatever age I don't think it's only just young people like I've taught people that are much older than me how to DJ as well but um seeing more people who aren't a part of the dominant culture and who do experience marginalization have more options for access into the industry whatever that might mean um whether it's through my work as a DJ or working through RA or through a regular fit I just feel like that's really important and I think there's a lot of other amazing people who are also sort of contributing to that. Um, and like sort of what you were speaking to before, I would love to see, find ways to create like people doing it. So I'm not trying to invalidate any work that already exists, but more ways for us to come together collectively and have conversations. Like I've talked before about having a DJ union. Cause I'm like, we need a DJ union so that you know we can advocate for things to make sure that you know, the standard pay rate is like everyone, especially emerging DJs are getting paid a fair rate to play at a show. Um, And also conversations about like, there's some incredible resources that exist, like Discakes made this incredible resource about safety in nightclub, but it's like 
very New York centric, but you could use it anywhere. But like having more resources that exist for all of us based off our collective knowledge so that we can continue to pass that on to others who are just entering the scene no matter what age they are. I feel like that would be the things that I want to contribute to. So I've been working on like some resources like videos to put out on how to do little things like certain blends or stuff like that that I'll be releasing soon. But yeah, I'm always just looking for ways to collaborate with others so that we can all share our knowledge because I like everyone DJs differently so I'm constantly learning things from other DJs definitely well that was epic the whole conversation was just want to say thank you so much once again for your time it isn't easy coming up to this hot sweaty room (laughs) on a Monday afternoon to like unravel a lot of stuff that you know isn't easy to talk about so I'm always so grateful and appreciative of you and everything you contribute and coming up today oh thanks for having me I appreciate you